0: You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network.
1: Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed when they... Hi, this is
0: Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 37. Today's
1: reading is from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Brethren, the promise to Abraham and his descendants that they should inherit the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, because he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. But the words, it was reckoned to him, were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him that raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was put to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Today is the first time in our podcast that we'll address a reading from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, and that's a little surprising to me as we're now in our 37th episode, and we haven't yet addressed the longest and, and perhaps the most significant of Paul's writings. So I'll make a note to speak with the, whoever is responsible for choosing uh, our readings each week, Father.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, don't be too hard on yourself, Jason. Uh, since I asked you to choose from readings that are on the church calendar, and since we began the podcast last September, there haven't been many readings from the book of Romans. Uh, so that's the reason we haven't dealt with it directly. Well, yeah, I guess
1: that's true now that I think about it, so I won't beat myself up, I guess. Uh, But before I get into today's reading, maybe you can explain why it is that from September to now, we haven't had many readings from Romans.
0: Well, we've had a few here and there, but they would be related to specific readings for a celebration of a saint or of a feast. But on the Church calendar right now, we will be more systematically reading through the Book of Romans. And the reason for that is simple. The readings revolve around the date of Pascha, or Easter, and so between Pascha and Pentecost, we read from the book of Acts, and now we're moving on through the New Testament epistle readings, and we are going to Romans.
1: Okay, so that makes sense now, and I feel a little bit better about not having discussed the book of Romans so far, (laughs) but because we haven't really discussed it specifically yet on the podcast, although you have referenced it several times, uh, maybe before we dig into today's reading, Father you could begin by providing us with a general overview of Romans.
0: Yeah, good idea. And for this, I will kind of stay at a high level, meaning not zeroing in on any specific passages, in large part because the reading today will help us hone in with a little more detail about what's happening in Romans. So from a broad perspective, let's begin with this. Although Paul has traditionally been considered the author of Romans— many scholars actually speculate that Luke is the author, which would mean Luke actually wrote a trilogy.
1: Uh, What exactly do you mean by that?
0: It means some scholars view Luke, Acts, and Romans as part of a bigger series, a trilogy, as I said, so to speak, and not just as individual books. And, of course, historically, Luke has been considered the author of his gospel and the book of Acts, so that's no surprise. But, again, some consider Luke to have authored Romans. And
1: why do you bring that up? Or uh, maybe I should rephrase that. Uh, why is it, or is it, important?
0: Yeah, in general, I don't really care that much about arguments revolving around who actually wrote a book in the Bible. And in large part, that I say that for two reasons. Uh, number one, you can't definitively prove it at this point. So although you might have evidence, uh, it's not the same as the scientific world where we can prove something like gravity. And then number two, I'm much more interested in the substance or the teaching of a book. And that goes for any book, not just the Bible. Uh, The important thing, at least in my opinion, is to assess the substance, especially in our day now with everything being so political. Just in general, I think we care way too much about who said something versus weighing the actual substance of what was said and if that is true or false, valuable or insignificant. Yeah,
1: point well taken, Father. Uh, But then it it still begs the question, uh, why did you bring up Luke uh, as a possibility of being the author?
0: Yeah, so clearly the substance of the book of Romans is Pauline in nature, meaning that the teaching of the book clearly reflects the teaching of Paul. I think that part is, is indisputable. But I bring up Luke as possibly, and again, I'm not arguing definitively or even that it really makes a difference, Uh, But I'm just bringing it up because I think the idea of Romans being part of a trilogy helps to underscore the substance of what's going on if you view Luke, Acts, and Romans as a trilogy. Okay, so what's going on there? Well, you begin Luke with the birth of Jesus, and then you go through the life of Jesus. Now, obviously, there are only a very few select things about Jesus before he reaches adulthood that are mentioned In Luke's Gospel but Luke gives a few details of the birth and early life of Jesus and then like the rest of the Gospels focuses on Jesus public earthly ministry you then end the Gospel with the death and resurrection of Christ Uh, the Gospel concludes with a very brief passage of Jesus ascending into heaven Mm -hmm. right I'm with you so far so next you have the book of Acts beginning with the recollection of Jesus words and teaching right before he ascended The reminder that Jesus then did ascend before his disciples into heaven and then as we discussed on a previous episode, these two men appear telling the disciples essentially to quit staring into heaven and to get busy doing the work of Jesus. So the rest of the book of Acts, in summary, is the disciples following the life of Jesus. They are teaching what he taught and just like them, they are persecuted for doing it and many of them, of course, are even put to death. Uh, Now, the first part of Acts focuses on Peter and the other disciples that actually walked with Jesus and were taught directly by him. But then the second half of the book transitions to Saul of Tarsus, who, as we discussed on a recent episode, was renamed Paul, meaning the little one, the humble. And this Paul of Tarsus ends up doing the work of Christ by spreading his message throughout the Roman Empire as far as he could travel.
1: Okay. And again, that's helpful. And I'm with you so far. But how does all of this relate back to the book of Romans?
0: Okay. Yeah. So the book of Acts concludes with Paul arriving in Rome. And specifically, Acts finishes by stressing that Paul rented an apartment in Rome and he was there teaching anyone and everyone who wanted to learn about Scripture and about this Jesus of Nazareth he was preaching. And Paul did so, as it says in the book of Acts, with all boldness and without hindrance. In other words, at the conclusion of the book of Acts, you see that Jesus' ministry and work was actually being fulfilled, so to speak. His message through Paul had now infiltrated into the very center of the Roman Empire, into the capital itself, and what was certainly viewed by the people of that time as the center of the entire inhabited world. So to sort of sum it up, for the book of Romans, it's a it's, uh, Paul's legacy, Paul's teaching, following the book of Acts and Paul preaching in Rome at the very center of the empire, and again, what was viewed by them as the center of the world, you are given Paul's message to all Romans, all the Gentiles, all the nations. And as I've stressed so many times, the message is one of reconciliation of all humanity to God and the possibility for all humanity to be reconciled one to another if we all would just live according to that teaching. So, to conclude this part, I bring up the possibility, and again, it's just a possibility, of Luke being the author of Romans, because regardless of who the author was, Luke, Acts, and Romans is clearly a trilogy, and I think it's helpful in the big picture to understand that. Again, you go from the life and teaching of Jesus, to the life and teaching of his disciples, to the life and teaching of someone who had not walked with Jesus, again Paul, but was converted to his message, to then finally an open letter, which is the book of Romans, inviting all the Romans, all the Gentiles, and by extension, all people and all nations, to accept this message and the teaching of Jesus Christ.
1: That's very helpful, Father. Thank you. And thank you for explaining that and helping us to understand the broader landscape of what is happening in Scripture. So to conclude today's podcast, I'd like to specifically address something from today's reading. In the passage I read at the beginning today, it it seems to be setting the law, the Mosaic law, in opposition to faith. Or maybe another way to say that is there is a, a tension between the law and faith. I'm not sure I'm explaining my thoughts here clearly, Father, but I'm hoping you can clarify what is going on here and why Abraham specifically is used as a model of faith.
0: Yes, so our previous discussion, which I hope was helpful to people, uh, took up most of our time, leaving me with not a lot of time on this issue, which is okay, because we've talked about this some in the past, and almost certainly we will some more in the future. But like you noticed, there is, as you said, a tension between the law and faith. Or perhaps more boldly and precisely, we could just openly state that the Pauline teaching, which he argues persuasively, at least in my opinion, is the biblical teaching, meaning one cannot properly interpret Scripture any other way. And that teaching is that faith precedes the law, and that, in fact, faith is greater than the law. So, in other words, the only reason there is this tension that you mentioned and picked up on is because some people, many people during Paul's time, and I would certainly argue in one form or another many people today, place the law, the Mosaic law, or some other form of a law, doesn't have to be the Mosaic law, but rules following, as being equal to or higher than faith. Perhaps the best way to say this, though, would be that many people place in one form or another their own righteousness in observing some form of law as equal to or greater than the righteousness that comes by putting one's trust in God, in His goodness, His graciousness, and in His righteousness. Okay, so maybe
1: very briefly to conclude, you can unpack that just a little more for us?
0: Yeah, the essence of the Pauline argument is this, and it highlights why, as you originally asked, uh, he used Abraham as the model of faith in Scripture. And notice I said in Scripture, not in some sort of separate philosophical argument or in his own imagination, but in Scripture, which for Paul was the reference In Scripture, you begin with the book of Genesis. And as I've said many times, you begin with God as the God of all creation and the God of all people. He deals with everyone. He's not only the God of the Jews. And what Paul picks up on is the fact that Abraham was accounted as being righteous in Genesis 15, verse 6. And the reason he was accounted righteous, as the passage clearly says, is because, quote, "...he believed the Lord." And so what Paul highlights in his arguments is that righteousness before God happened before the Mosaic Law and thus outside the Mosaic Law. And so if righteousness happens both before and outside of the Mosaic Law, then it is not in following precisely the Mosaic Law that leads one to true righteousness in God. And as Paul will point out, in fact, if we could only become righteous through the Mosaic law, then we are all in big trouble. Because the law condemns those who have not done all things that were written in the law. And as Paul points out, no one, save our Lord Jesus Christ, has done all those things. So we would, again, be in big trouble if that were the case, if that's how we obtained righteousness. And again, to conclude, Paul is making a scriptural argument. He's quoting extensively scriptural passages, and he's not just cherry-picking his favorite scripture passages, but he's looking at scripture from a broader perspective, from that grand perspective, to show what it is truly saying. And what it is truly saying is that if we human beings had to rely on ourselves, if we put our trust in ourselves, our own righteousness, our own following of the Mosaic Law, then none of us would be accounted as being righteous, as Abraham was. But thanks be to God, the scriptural God, not the God of our imaginations, He has provided us a way out. And that way out is to put our trust in Him. It's to put aside our selfish desires. It's to put aside our sense of self-righteousness, of thinking we're better than others. It's to put aside our selfish ambitions. It's to accept that we cannot make it on our own and to trust in His grace, in God's grace. And then, of course, most importantly, to extend that same grace to others. Because we totally butcher Scripture and the Gospel message. If we just act and think as though we receive God's grace, it's done. That's the end of the story. No. Scripturally speaking, we only remain in His grace and under His mercy if we extend that same grace and mercy to others. And that is what Paul is ultimately arguing here in the passage you read today and in the book of Romans and throughout his teaching. Very helpful discussion today,
1: Father. Thank you. You bet. Today's episode began with Father Aaron providing an alternative theory on the authorship of Romans. While the authorship is impossible to prove, there is speculation from some scholars that Luke was the author and not Paul. But fathers stressed that ultimately, the authorship is not of importance so much as the substance. And clearly, the substance of Romans is Pauline. It can be helpful, however, to view Luke's Gospel, the book of Acts and Romans, as a trilogy. Through this lens, we can plainly see the progression from the life and teaching of Jesus to the life and teaching of his disciples to the life and teaching of St. Paul. In the letter to the Romans, there is an invitation to all Gentiles all people and all nations, to accept this message and teaching of Jesus Christ. We then turn to the apparent tension between the law and faith. Father Aaron explained that tension exists only because someplace the law is being equal to or higher than faith. But Paul's teaching is explicit, that faith both precedes the law and is greater than the law. We see Paul's argument supported by the fact that Abraham was accounted righteous because he believed the Lord. Abraham's righteousness before God came before the Mosaic Law, and so it was outside the Law. For if we were only found righteous through the Law, then we would find ourselves condemned. But God, in His mercy, provides us with another way, to place our trust in Him and to extend His mercy that we have received and freely give it to others.
0: Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode.
1: Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia glory to thee, O oh God. Alleluia, 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 glory to
0: thee, O oh God. O oh, our God and our hope, glory.